Well, as I said, there's nothing like being switched on, <laughs> but I am switched on. <laughs> Thank you very much. Wow, what a joy to be back here and sharing in this amazing series. Let me put that down. Are you enjoying the new Encounter series? Isn't it wonderful? Gee, it's an exciting version of what happens in the Gospels when ordinary men and women, just like us, encounter Jesus. And their lives are changed forever. They're transformed from the inside just by him being there. And Mark has shared so powerfully over the last couple of weeks of different encounters. Remember the one called Changed Forever, where the woman who had the flow of blood just went through the crowd. She shouldn't even have been there because she was not really allowed to be in public with her condition. And she touched his garment and she was healed just like that. And then that amazing experience of the wedding, the wedding of Cana, the first miracle recorded, which is the encounter of mercy. When the wine ran out, and my goodness, it was going to be a pretty grim party, at a very short party, and it was all the bridegroom's fault. Remember when Mark shared that? And how Jesus just transformed it, because God loves a party. He loves us to enjoy ourselves. So it's all about encounter. And I really believe that this is the year at the vineyard where we are going to have deeper encounters with Jesus, each of us. We are really going to know him more fully and experience his life in us in a more wonderful way and experience the transformation that he brings. This is the year for all of us for encounter in a new and fresh way. So what exactly happens when we encounter Jesus? Well, Mark has explained that it's encountering life in all its fullness. And we may seek God in part because we just want to get to know him bit by bit, but he seeks for us to know him fully, for all of him to be in all of us. It's this amazing oneness. This is what it's all about. And today, <clears throat> we're going to be seeing two very different characters and what happens in their lives as they encounter Jesus and the impact that he has on them. Because we know that as we walk in the blessings of all that God has for us, it impacts us, but it also impacts our family and the wider world too. So let's have a look at two amazing ladies, Mary and Martha, the very well-known sisters, the very well-loved sisters. You might be thinking, well, I know these stories. They're pretty familiar. But I'm hoping to give some interesting angles and quirky looks at these two. So will you come with me as we look at three little cameos which really describe the two sisters and how they encounter Jesus. And just before we get into those, when we think about Martha, I always think, She's quite an amazing lady because she's quite a dominant personality. She's very strong-willed, she's outspoken. She's almost like a Peter, you know, who, who speaks first and then maybe thinks a little bit later. She's a bit impetuous, and I'm sure there are many of us who can relate to that. And then Mary is almost like a John, which is more reflective, much quieter, more passive. John is described as the the disciple that Jesus loved, and Jesus loved Mary in a, in a very special way because she would just sit and be reflective and listen very peacefully. So these are the two sisters, basically. But let's have a look at the first one, and if we can just have a look at Mark chapter 10, and we're reading from verse 38. 
And here's a description. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of the Lord, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, only indeed one, and Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Now, I just love this little cameo. It's like a little vignette into somebody's private life. You know, when the cameras go into the kitchen and you see things are hotting up. But Martha was really quite an authoritative person. It was definitely her home, and she invited him in. Often Martha is talked about first before Mary, so people think that Martha was a bit older, maybe, than Mary. Um, and Martha invited him in, but he was traveling with his disciples. So that's about 12 of them, and we know that there was a band of women who traveled with them. So possibly this entourage of 12, 15 might have come to the house. She she was a, probably a fairly wealthy woman that she could have this hospitality of inviting everybody in. And that was before the day of Ocado delivery and Deliveroo. <laughs> it was before the day when you could just open your freezer and think, oh, what should I put in the microwave? <laughs> it was none of that. So when you think, it was really quite something. So we read about her being distracted and worried and busy in the kitchen because Mary is not helping her. She's at the feet of Jesus. You can actually understand. It must have been quite something. But I think Martha was the hostess with the mostess. You know, one of those who just did everything absolutely fantastically. Napkins would have been rolled in the shape of a swan. No, not quite that. But I think she would have been one of those amazing people. But you know, there's something about entertaining when you entertain guests, the focus is on the hostess. But when you have hospitality, the focus is on your guest. So just have that in mind when you come to this next little part, which is a bit of an ouch moment, I think, because there's Mary. First time we meet her, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she is totally enthralled with what he's saying. She's enwrapped. But it's interesting that Martha, for all this great presence, didn't actually say, Psst, Mary, get in the kitchen. She didn't. I think it was because she knew that Mary would not budge. As quiet as she was, she was there at his feet, like one of the disciples, which is actually a position that men had. So it was quite something for Mary to be right there with the men, with the disciples listening to Jesus. So Martha goes to Jesus, we know the story. Lord, don't you care? Now when I first read this, I thought, oh, I could just picture hands on hips. Lord, don't you care? Now how many of us, and I mean, we need to be honest here, and I don't think it's just the ladies, I think it's the men too. Don't you care that I've worked all day and I come home and you just sit in front of the TV and you read the paper and you have your pint and I've got a is there a familiar, ouch, familiar sound? <laughs> yes, well, I love scripture because it's so real. This is exactly it. So this is the story. But seriously, without his presence, without his peace, 
even the most significant of activities, can lose their value, and we can lose our joy. Without his peace, without his love in action, the most significant of work and activities can lose their value, and we can lose our joy. So beware. What is distracting us? What is making us worried and upset, like Martha was? What is making us exhausted? I love the words that were here before we started the service. Exactly this, rest in me. Don't be troubled, don't be anxious, rest in me. Come to me. And we see that it's not about performance and striving. It's about presence. It's not about behave, do this, do this, do this. It's about behold. Because it's not about religion. It's about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about really knowing Jesus for yourself. It's about encounter in such a personal, wonderful way. And Mary had that. She knew it. She was right there and she was not going to move. No matter how loud the clamor was in the kitchen, she wasn't going to move. And I just say lovingly, maybe we have an attitude where we've kind of given up and we say, Lord, don't you care that this and this and this hasn't happened? And I just urge you, don't rail at him for answers. Sit at his feet in his presence and enjoy his presence. And I know that as he comes to you in the stillness of a moment, he will start to work in a way that will transform you and your attitudes and your circumstances far beyond what you could ever imagine. I really believe that. So Martha had to get her priorities right because if you read these words actually in the Greek, it says, don't you care that she has left me to do all the work by myself? She was actually in the kitchen to start, Mary, but she left her to do all the work herself. So she knew when enough was enough and she had her priorities right. So let's learn a lesson as we reflect on this first little cameo because as someone wisely said, the only thing you can do with a bad attitude, it's rather like a flat tire, is change it because you're not going anywhere. <laughs> so Martha and Mary, are you getting to know these two sisters in a different sort of way? <laughs> well, let's have a look at the next one. And that's from John chapter 11. I love this because um, it's actually a very long reading. It will come up on the screen in a while, but before we get to that, I want to just say, this is quite a different picture. Jesus is some distance from Bethany, where Mary and Martha lived with their brother Lazarus. And as he's busy um, traveling and preaching and teaching, word comes to him from these two sisters that their brother Lazarus is very ill. And I'm sure that it was in a way that he's critically ill, he's on the point of dying, you must come quickly. And we read in John chapter 11 and verse 5 that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And then in verse 6, it's a bit of an odd verse because it says, so, he loved them, so, he stayed there another two days. 
before he went to help. And in some of the versions, the older versions, it says, therefore, he tarried. He stayed on. He waited an extra two days. And sometimes we just don't understand the way the Lord works. We pray, we ask him for help, and then somehow he just doesn't move. And we seem to be waiting and waiting and waiting for answers. And we think, Lord, you love me. So he waited. It's an odd verse, but just stay with this. Because as Jesus explains, it's for the greater glory of God. (laughs) It's for the greater glory of God. So let's pick up at verse 17 of John 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. He was dead and buried in the tomb four days. And it goes on to explain that all the Jews had come to mourn with Mary and Martha. And in verse 21, when Martha went out to meet Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I believe she looked him straight in the eye and she said those words, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I listened to her faith. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Isn't that amazing, this woman? So don't think Martha was always the one clattering in the kitchen with no faith. This is a powerhouse, this woman, Martha. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She knew her theology, she knew her stuff. And then comes this amazing conversation. And often, I think this is probably one of the most powerful conversations recorded between Jesus and anyone in the whole of scripture. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And you know when he uses the I am, when we did the names of God, that is Jehovah. When he said to Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, say, I am that I am sent you. So for him to say, I am the resurrection, that is something. And the life, whoever believes in me will will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he says to her, do you believe this? They're having this amazing conversation. Yes, Lord, and I, she comes right back. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come to the world. Now, you know, only Mary, the mother of Jesus, knew. She was a virgin. She knew the Holy Spirit came upon her, and she knew that this was the Messiah she was carrying. And then we also know that Peter at Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus said to him, who do you say I am? He said, you are the Christ But for this ordinary woman in this little village of Bethany to say, you are the Messiah, this is astounding. So they're having this extraordinary conversation. It's because Jesus was fully God. There was this ministry of truth. Then he sends for Mary, and we read that as soon as Mary heard that Jesus was there calling for her, she rushed to him. It says it a few times. She went quickly. She rushed. So she comes beetling across to see with him. The moment she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. The first time we met her, she was at his feet. Here she is again at his feet. And you know what? She says exactly the same words as Martha. 
to a T, the same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But where is she saying this? Not eye to eye. She's flat on her face, weeping. And she's weeping and weeping. And you know, because Jesus is fully God, but he is fully man, he understood and he felt the weeping, the mourning, the grieving. And Jesus wept. And that's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept, verse 35. He felt her pain and he feels our pain. But listen what's coming. The greater miracle, the glory of God. This is why he tarried. This is why he waited. So he says, where have they laid him? And we can read it in the scriptures. And he says, roll the stone away because it was a tomb. And practical Martha, ever Martha being practical, verse 40, verse 39, she says, but Lord, by this time there will be an odor because he's been there for four days. <laughs> oh, dear Martha. And Jesus just says these amazing verses. And I have got this in several places where I go often in our house because this is his message to me. And I just pray this will be his message to you. Did I not tell you, and you, and you, and you, I know so many of you by name, but he knows you fully. Did I not tell you that if you'd believe, you would see the glory of God? Do you believe that? He's telling you, do you not believe? You will see the glory of God. And then the most remarkable thing happens. He prays and thanks God, and then in a loud voice, he calls, Lazarus, come out. <laughs> and I just love this description. And then the dead man came out. I mean, he wasn't dead, was he? <laughs> it was like the mummy, but all wrapped up. So they took off his clothes, the swaddling clothes and wrapping, and out he was alive. The reflection that I'd like us to just think about in this story is quite amazing. Mary didn't ask for answers, she just worshipped. Jesus thanked God, and then he did something amazing. There are a couple of amazing things here, but this conversation that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, do we know him in that way? Have we encountered him that way personally? Because maybe we're standing at the black hole of such a deep awful place in our lives where something has died, maybe hope has died, and you've given up because you're so disappointed over so long of nothing happening. Maybe love has died because in your relationship there's been so much betrayal and disappointment and you've given up. Maybe you've just decided you can't go on anymore because you've prayed for healing and it hasn't happened. You've prayed for your house to be sold. You've prayed for that job to come through and the payment. You've waited and waited and nothing's happened and you're feeling as if you're at the edge of this big black hole and it's death and there's a stench to it. Maybe you've tried to wrap it up and hide it, but I really believe he's saying to you, did I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God because I am the resurrection and the life. And it's no accident that the first sermon that Jesus preached was from Isaiah 21. I have come that their mourning will be turned into joy. That the ash of their lives that are so futile 
will be turned into beauty. This is the transformation that happens when his presence is there because his love is unstoppable. That's the second cameo. And now let's move on to the third, which is in John 12. This is the third time we see these two sisters. Verse one says, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And you could imagine Lazarus there. And there was a dinner being served in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Yes, you wouldn't expect her to be different, but I believe this time with gladness. Because you know, as she encountered Jesus, as she really got to know him, it wouldn't have been the striving, but it would have been the outflowing of his love in her that made her want to do this and prepare the meals. And Lazarus was amongst those reclining at table with him. Oh, I bet he was just glowing with good health. Now listen to this. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. This is so beautiful. She's criticized by Judas Iscariot and some of the other accounts by the disciples because this was such expensive perfume. This was spikenard, nard, that comes from the Himalayas in India, Tibet, and China. Can you imagine it getting all the way to Bethany? And it was in this alabaster flask that she had to break before she could pour it. And she broke it and she would pour all of it. But look at this act of Mary's. She poured it over his feet and then she rubbed her hair in it. Isn't this just the most beautiful, intimate relationship where his fragrance is mingled into her hair and is mingled with her fragrance. And together, this fragrance of Jesus with Mary fills the whole house. And this is exactly what happens when we truly encounter Jesus personally in this intimate relationship. When he comes into our lives and we open ourselves, there's this blending of fusion of hearts where there is the intimacy of relationship where we give all our best, our everything to him, and we receive him in return in a way that will impact not just us, but the whole house will be filled with the fragrance. Oh, thank you, Lord. This is our reality. And you know, you may not even be aware of it, but people will say, there's something different when you come into the room, or you know, you've got a glow, or you've got this or that. You'll have that, I'm sure, because it's not you any great shakes, but it's who indwells. Because we have this amazing Lord who loves us and who comes into us when we open ourselves to him and he brings the fragrance. So these three are just fantastic. I want to just read from Matthew. the two other little accounts that support this. <clears throat> Matthew 26 one goes through all of it, and also Mark. And if you want to look these up at home, it's Matthew 26, 6 to 13, and Mark 14, verses 3 to 9. They're virtually the same words, exactly. Simon the leper's house, but of course Simon was no longer a leper. He'd been healed, otherwise he would never have people around. Simon's house, and he had everybody over for a dinner. It's the same account. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were there, and Mary poured this expensive ointment. And she's criticized. And the disciples are really having a go at her, saying, this is expensive. It could have been sold for the poor. And Jesus said, 
leave her alone. What she has done is a beautiful thing because she's preparing my body for burial. It was six days before Passover. He knew he was on his way to die for us to take on himself everything that separates us from being one and having this intimate fusion with the living God. He took it on himself and he became sin who knew no sin. And what Mary has done was actually pouring this on as a prophecy before his death. And what I love about this, verse 13, truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now they were having this banquet dinner in honor of Jesus, but he turns it because he loves this heart of this woman. Why is this so significant? It's amazing. A woman, Mary in Bethany, she'd never written a book. Mary never preached a sermon. She never worked a miracle that's recorded. Yet this ordinary woman, <laughs> this is what this encounter series is so wonderful, ordinary woman gave her all to him, this expensive perfume. And they were saying it's a year's wages. So if you got paid a thousand pounds a month, this little vial, it's a pint, it's just about a half a liter. She poured this whole thing over him. That's 12,000 pounds. It's extravagant worship. It's boundless worship. This Mary who knew her boundaries in the kitchen, she did enough and then she left to sit at Jesus. She just knows no bounds when it comes to loving Jesus. That's the heart. And why he says this will be told throughout the world, because she, of all of them, really showed this oneness that God's looking for. Martha knew the answers. She knew the theology. I believe she knew and loved Jesus too. But what I want to explain is that I encourage us to have this heart where we give everything. Because in the Revelation 1, we read that Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, you've done your duty, you've got the discipline, you know the doctrine, but you've lost your first love. And I really believe that as we give all to Jesus, this is what we learn from the sisters. Wow, we're gonna just tap into an encounter with him a transformation with him, the like of which we could never imagine. So in summary, these three cameos that I've shown you, little vignettes, little peeps into the lives. Mary and Martha, she's bustling in the kitchen. She's bothered, she's upset, she's worried. She's in a bit of a fluster, and she's a bit resentful because of the sister. Maybe she's compared. A lot of people do comparisons on social media. They see the fake smiles over the Christmas turkey. That's not what it's about. Jesus said, my presence will give you the peace that you're needing. Mary has chosen the better part. The next little vignette is at the tomb where there's death staring them in the face, a stench, the reality of all that hopelessness means. And that's where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life to an ordinary woman. That's encounter. And his presence 
is the resurrection power. And then this last vignette, we've had Mary in this absolute abandonment of devotion, which is so beautiful. His presence is there in passion and in perfume. So these are the three parts of his presence that come to us there. I love this book because from the first pages in Genesis, we read about the garden, which would have been so fragrant, (laughs) where Jesus is foretold in so many places. But we read that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in union, in intimacy, in friendship. And then the last pages we read about the banquet feast of the bridegroom and the bride. And the bridegroom is Jesus. And we are the bride, the ones who love him and who he's come for. It's no accident, it's called the consummation of the ages. Because this whole book is one incredible love story. Passionate love story, page after page, through thousands of years. Hundreds of different prophets, priests, kings, poets, all telling this unstoppable love of God for us. But also in these pages, right from that first garden moment, it's the story of man and woman disobeying God, turning away, rebellion, doing their own thing, landing in disaster after disaster. And you think, when will they ever learn? But you know, he never stops. He comes after us and he loves us. The Song of Songs is right in the middle, and if you haven't read that a while, it's this exotic, passionate love story, but it's the bride and the groom, because these themes are repeated over and over and over. And remember Mark preached last week about the wedding? No accident, the first wedding, the first miracle was a wedding, and there was wine. Wine ran out, but Jesus turned the water into wine. And that's the purifying water that just washed your hands. He turned that into wine. It was the best wine ever. Fast forward to the Last Supper, the Passover meal. Jesus is now on his way to die. And again, he's pouring the wine. And he says, this is my blood, which is poured out for you because he knew that he was going to be the sacrifice that made this oneness possible. And we celebrate through communion, and he says, drink all of it. Again, it's just everything we need in him. This is his perfect plan. It's just a most beautiful love story, but it's the real story. It's his story. This is history. And if we can truly grasp that, and encounter the person of Jesus sitting where we are, we can know that peace in his presence like Mary did in the kitchen, no matter what the clutter. We can know the power of his presence at the resurrection, and we can know the passion through the fragrance mingling. And I just invite the band to come up, please, and I just say to us, have you sat quietly long enough for him to love you, to enfold you, and to let you know that you treasured. Have you sat quietly long enough to actually just love him without coming with a long list of things? Have you been lost in the wonder of him 
without thinking of the wonderful works that he does, to just be in awe of his presence, to truly encounter him. And what does it actually mean, the presence? It's so lovely in the Old Testament. The word to describe the presence of God is actually means his face shining on you. That's what the presence is. That's why when we give the blessing, it says, may the Lord bless you. May his face shine upon you. That's what it means. The presence of God is God shining his face on you. That's his presence in all his power, in all his love, in all his passion. In Hebrews 1.3, it says that Jesus is the sole expression of this invisible God. He is the outpouring of the radiance, the dazzling light of the glory of God. That's Hebrews. That's Jesus. So as we come into his presence, you will be transformed just because of who he is. In his presence, there is healing. That woman touched his cloak. And she was healed. In his presence, there's provision. They got wine at the wedding. In his presence, there is love because he is love. In his presence, there is joy. Psalm 16, 12 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Jesus said, I have come that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full, full to overflowing. And I've had the experience, and many of us have, of being so overcome with this outflowing of joy that we can't stop laughing in the spirit because that's Jesus' presence full in us. And it's a beautiful thing. In his presence is peace. He is the Prince of Peace. In his presence is truth. He is the way, the truth, the life. If you're needing wisdom, discernment, direction, his presence. And as we sit and let him unfold us, as he comes into our moments and as we open ourselves and have that mingling and that oneness, we will know what abundant life truly is. There's so many apps on your mobile phone. You can have the Bible playing in any version you want while you're mowing the lawn and washing the dishes and ironing the clothes. And you can have the word while you sleep. There are eight hours of healing scriptures, eight hours of joy, eight hours of love. There's no reason why you can't let that wash into you and over you. But nothing makes up for the one-on-one, face-to-face with the living Jesus. As we close... I don't often have dreams, but many years ago, I had a dream that was so vivid. It was a wedding, and I was the bride, and I remember coming into this church and looking across, and it was a really traditional church, and all the people were in these long pews, they all had their hats and little things, and everybody was dressed, and I remember thinking, yes, they're here, they're here, they're sitting in the right places. The organist was playing. I thought it was the right piece of music, it's the right loudness. Everything was right. The flowers were exactly the colors I'd ordered. I was checking. I looked around, the little flower girls, it was all right. I thought, here we go, the wedding. And I happened to look down at my flowers, and they were wilted. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, my wedding and my flowers, I could see them all hanging over, the little tulips. I thought, what's happened? How can this be? And as I looked up, I saw the bridegroom turn. And it was Jesus. 
And I saw his eyes of fire that were such eyes of love. I had never seen anything like it in my dream. It was just a moment I've never forgotten. And you know what? I flung the flowers, I kicked off my shoes, I picked up the dress and I ran. <laughs> I ran. <laughs> and I jumped into his arms, I really did. And I let him love me. And I loved him. And I had encountered the person of Jesus. And the transformation was beginning. May that be your experience. <laughs>